Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Jack Scott is the co-founder of Dashwater. Dashwater is tackling the problem of food waste within farming, where surplus or wonky produce has historically been thrown away. Dash only use wonky fruit and veg to create their premium brand of soft drinks. What I love about Dash is that they're part of the modern consumer brand movement, where they focus on being a responsible and sustainable business, whilst also building a unique and memorable brand that their consumers love. I chat to Jack about the problem of food waste in farming, building a strong brand identity, carving out a space for a premium drinks brand in the crowded market, their recent wonky fruit PR campaign that didn't quite go to plan for the better, and becoming a B Corp. Hey Jack, thanks for chatting with us today. Hi Craig, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. So um, I always like to start with um, chatting about the guest background a little bit. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit maybe about your upbringing or career, anything that may be kind of relevant to setting the scene for what led you um, creating a company like Dashwater. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I was brought up on an arable farm in in Shropshire. Um, And I think that certainly being close to where the crops has grown really sort of made me want to go into um, the world of food and drink, but I didn't necessarily want to go down the sort of traditional farming uh, route. So I was always interested in how we could potentially use the produce that we grow at home um, and use it in a slightly different way. And then after university, I was looking at different things that I wanted to do. And I actually met a chap called William Kendall, who was big into agriculture, but also was part of the team that created Green and Blacks and Covent Garden Soup. So he was the, the leading person at those two brands. And he introduced me to a brand that he they just bought called Corston Press. Yeah. And that's where I did my first job, which was selling soft drinks in, in London. Um, and it was there that I met my co-founder, Alex. Um, and we started scheming. Nice. And we're going to talk about Dashwater very shortly. Um, before we do, again, kind of setting the scene a little bit, like, I just want to talk about the the kind of the impact area that you 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 have and focus on as, as a business, which is kind of like food waste and food surplus. Um, I read that 40% of fruit and veg grown in the UK goes to waste. So I was wondering if we could talk specifically about kind of the role of farming within that food waste how does so much produce end up going to waste? Like, is it just too much being produced? Is it about the aesthetics of the fruit and veg? Is it a mixture of these things? Yeah, no, good question. So it's up to 40% of fruit and veg grown in the UK doesn't reach our plates. And that happens um, at various different stages of the supply chain. They say, from a recent report, they say around 16% is happening at farm level. And that's the area that we're focusing in on. And there's various different reasons to why that's happening. One of which is tight supermarket regulations around the aesthetics of the fruit and veg. But to make it more tangible, for instance, with our cucumbers, grade 
ones and twos will go to uh, Marks and Spencers and Waitrose. This is a farm in Lily Valley where most of the cucumbers grow in the UK. And then threes and fours, because they're you know too big or have slight blemishes on or have grown in a funny way, will be graded lower. And quite often the farmer won't necessarily have a, a market to sell those. So what we're doing is giving them a larger market opportunity to sell those cucumbers, which is helpful, hopeful, we hope is uh, helpful uh, to, to the farmers. So that's a little bit more about what happens at, at farm level and what fruit that we're using at Dash to create our, our drinks. And before you know, Dash existed and, and like similar kind of solutions, which are, are helping the farmers with that problem, what would happen to mm. the food waste historically like the the food that wasn't a value or they the farmers couldn't sell to anyone like what where would that go yeah so we we're very keen to say that it won't necessarily go to waste but it might go for animal feed um or a biodigester or there might be secondary markets for farmers to sell um you know cucumbers for instance there's you know for Turkish markets in, in London, so there are there are routes, um, but it's obviously you know it's extra um, time, effort, and money for the farmer to find those routes. Um, but sometimes it would certainly be going to to waste, which obviously is is you know catastrophic in regards to the energy gone in to make that fruit and being perfectly great to to eat um, or make sparkling water from. <laughs> Definitely. And probably a good segue to um, me ask you to explain to listeners like, what, what Dash Water is and what you do. Dash um, is very simple. It's just water, bubbles and wonky fruit. Um, it's zero sugar, zero sweetener and comes in a 330ml aluminium can. And as we've talked about at the heart of it, it's the, the wonky fruit. Um, so from my farming background and understanding what's going on, we we wanted to shine a light on food waste. So that's was an important reason why Alex and I started um, Dashwater was to have that sort of mission led and to celebrate wonky fruit. Lovely. And um, you mentioned earlier on the kind of like some of the parts of your, like your background, the farming background, meeting your co-founder at Corson Press. Um, what was the what was the initial concept for Dashwater and like how did you go about in the very early days testing the market that there would actually be a someone would be willing to to pay for a product like this? Yeah, no, it's a very good question and a very important stage for any sort of food and drink sort of startup. So we started by literally taking large vats of water, infusing, making our own flavors. So whether it was lemons, limes, oranges, infusing them overnight, then taking out the fruit and then adding bubbles and cooling it down. And we would literally go to London parks in the weekend and trial that on people. And we got a resounding sort of positive reviews around how natural it tasted and how refreshing it was. And it was something that people would really buy. Um, and then actually it was, we had then looked over at the US and saw that it was a, a massive category with this unsweetened flavored water in a can. So that gave us, you know, real confidence and belief to 
launched product uh, here in the in in the UK. Nice. And this might sound like a silly question, but like, how easy is it about to like kind of source this surplus or or like one key food? Like, are there specific channels you have to go down, or is it a case of like very manually building relationships with individual farmers around the UK to to get access to the right produce? The start, we use, we worked with a company called Feedback, which is a charity organisation that's tackling food waste. And they were able to link us with some key farmers who they worked with. Um, so I mentioned um, Lee, yeah. who's a farmer from the Lee Valley and a raspberry farmer in Herefordshire. And we were then able to, you know, understand the problem and also then liaise with them to take their surplus wonky fruit to our flavour house, um, which is based in, in Gloucestershire. So it was definitely adding extra supply chain complexity. Um, but we obviously believe that that was a really important part of the brand. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I'm really intrigued. Like, did you, did either of you or, or um, Alex have like prior knowledge of how to produce sparkling water? Is that also part of part of the, the early stage kind of journey of, of learning how to do actually produce these drinks? Yeah, no. Like we had experience in selling drinks, but the operational side was something that we had no experience of. So it was really sort of trying to sort of get very entrepreneurial and speak to as many people as possible. There was quite one quite fun story where we met a chap called Philip Ashurst, who has written three books on how to make soft drinks. And he lived over in Anglesey. And so we met him on the side of a motorway in, in uh, the West Midlands in Shropshire. And he talked to us a little bit more about how our idea and how perhaps we might scale that up to you know tangibly create it in sort of more mass manufacturing um before we we thought we would have to like buy very big large vats of uh, water and infuse them um but then he talked to us about like how we make our extracts and introduced us to this boutique flavor house who take our wonky fruits and make it into an extract for us that we then add to our sparkling water and then it was about speaking with manufacturers, the can manufacturer. So it, it took us from, you know, up to two years to launch it uh, onto the shelf in Selfridges. So it was quite a long, a long time. It was a year in our last, you know, when we were talking about it. And then the year after we left, we were able to launch it. Super interesting. And um, that was one of the things I was talking about next was like kind of the, the brand, because I feel like the best consumer brands have a real clear positioning. Um, they look great. They taste great like Dash Water does. Um, and I believe from quite early on that you had quite a clear vision for what you wanted the brand to be and what to like stand for. Like, can you share a little bit like how you wanted the the product to be perceived by the consumers, where you want to sit in the market? We worked We worked really hard on on the, on the brand, um, invested, you know, time and money on, on the design from an early stage. So we wanted to launch with a product that looked absolutely bang on because being in such a competitive market, we thought our only chance of making this work was to try and create like a world-class brand. Um, so the process of finding the perfect design house was something, you know, we spoke to... I think 15 different ones, ranging from all different prices. Um, and finally found Ian and Sarah who from Horse Studio. And they really understood what we wanted and done some amazing work previously. So we were confident with, with them. And they, 
there, um, the design agency that created Dash, which you've seen today with the Dash marks um, and hopefully, you know, beautiful design that attracts our target consumer. Um, but going a little bit like zooming in on that a bit more, it was trying to pull out a really good exercise for us was trying to pull out certain aspects of brands that we really admired. And that really helped paint a picture for our design agency. So whether it was like the story of the craft story of Sip Smith Gin or the how the bottle, the square bottle of Fiji water made you feel, or um, you know, the premium simplicity of Bevatry or the way in which Innocent talks. So it was, that was like a really important exercise for us to talk to our agency about to create Dash. Um, and they really nailed it. And we were really confident from day one of how, how it looked. Got it. And, and how did you then, once you, you knew internally, I guess, what you wanted to look like and how you wanted to be perceived, how did you go about taking that to, to market? Like it was a case of being very clear with retailers on, on where it needs to sit on the shelves and how it needs to be positioned or was it about being very selective with the types of retailers that you would yeah you would sell to yeah no absolutely so we were very focused on getting it into the right places for the for the brand initially so building that like brand equity and that's where some of our experience uh from previous roles really helped a really important part was actually there was this coffee shop guide to london which had about 600 like of the best coffee shops in london so alex and i would try and visit 20 independent stores per day uh, to begin with and really focused on like approximately a thousand independents in london so dash would seen in the right places we'd much prefer the product to be seen on a weekend in a, in a lovely coffee shop in east london rather than a meal deal in boots so we we really focused in on on that and um i think that that put us in really good stead and then like places like whole foods planet organic dalesford source market um sort of then came a tiny bit after that and then we pushed into more major retail um and the brand was in you know good place rather than going straight into mainstream retail um, it, we built up some brand awareness through the independence, which was a really good move, I think. Yeah, really smart. And I, th- I think it's like fighting that temptation that you can have in the early days of like trying to go for volume and, and sales. We're actually building the brand early on in the long term, I think we'll build something a lot more sustainable. Um, in terms of routes to market, obviously we've talked quite a bit then about kind of the retailers and how that journey's evolved. But I understand that that's not your only route to market. Like you have quite a strong... Um, online DTC presence as well. Did you do both from day one or was it a case of DTC came a little bit later on? Yeah, no, we always knew that online would be um, an important part of our sales mix. Um, And we were keen to create lots of different channels and not be too dependent on on one channel. So online, like from day one, we started selling quite a few cases on Amazon which definitely sort of made us think that the online opportunity was significant. So we created a very good, well, a good website and started playing around with some paid social. And 
I think we got to a relatively strong position in monthly sales, but it was definitely COVID that um, ignited that channel. But we were in a good position to capitalize on those sort of macro factors with Facebook advertising shooting down. And we were had a great performance marketing and had good content for paid social and we were working with influencers. So when COVID hit, we were able to really jump on that opportunity. And that was like the start of the, the journey for our online shop. And now it sort of continued to grow through the subscribe and save model. But we are lucky because it's, it's a particular product that works online for food and drink. Like most of the time, uh, traditional, you know, you, you'd go to the grocery store or you buy online from Waitrose. You know, you wouldn't get your Diet Coke delivered to your door every month or your energy drink or your tonic. But sparkling water is sort of more of a habit and something that people are happy to sort of subscribe to as they drink their three or four cans a day. Definitely. And I, th- I think, like you said, one part of it is, is the fact it's a premium product. But I think secondly, it's also the type of company you are and what you're building. And I think if I look at my own kind of consumer behaviors is when I look at the subscription services that we have and the products we have, they're all companies trying to do good in some way. Like who gives a crap? Is it like toilet paper brands, odd box, rescuing like wonky food? I think people will go a bit further out of their way and commit to those kind of brands that have those types of products and offerings. When you when you when you look back over the journey so far, obviously lots of complexity that you mentioned earlier and getting the thing off the ground and, and doing it in the right way. What would you say has been like a major game changer? Like what have you invested in that's really paid dividends? If that's the branding, if it's the the online, if it's I think you brought in a chairman, um, if it's like operational efficiencies, you're starting to get bigger. Like what's what's really making a difference to the business or, or made a difference to the business in the past? What we try and think about Dash is like being good all round. I think trying to like be a better business and really through that, you know, attract great talent. So, you know, we've had a, we've got an amazing team who have been with us for a considerable amount of time. Like we've never had anyone leave Dash. And I think doing stuff consistently over a long period of time and everyone becoming sort of experts in their field has put us in, in great stead. I would say the design and the branding for me um, was such an important factor and really sort of creating that sort of story, you know, having that sort of mission around wonky fruit has really helped us get our sort of foot in the door and start those conversations. Um, So to anyone sort of out there looking to start a new business, I think that's really you know, something that you should think really hard about is like, how do you, you know, not only sort of sell lots of products, but how do you make, you know, the environment or the world around you a better, a better place. And that's made us as a brand, maybe perhaps getting conversations easier with, with certain buyers, or maybe people are more likely to repeat purchase our products and not go to, to our competitors. So that's really, I think, an important bit to our success to date. 
If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies. From climate change to social impact to green transport, you'll be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out, www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Completely agree. Uh, yeah, and the brand identity with Dash is just so so memorable. Uh, I wonder, where, where did the term wonky fruit come from like who came up with that because it's such a great great phrase and it's something you never really hit you hear the word wonky anywhere yeah no you're so right i was actually over in ireland last yes uh last week and i was doing a talk about the brand and no one in the room had sort of heard about it and they reminded me of the word wonky and how strong and prominent that is to them around the brand and the sort of the magic of the word wonky and the intrigue is such an important part of our our brand. I think it was a term that was around before Dash. It's certainly not a term that we would say we invented, but there was the wonky fruit was talked about, and we, you know, then just went sort of hard on on that. And is something that we, you know, um, it's sort of ownable and something that you know we you know, talk a lot about and really captures the imagination of people, like you say. I agree. I think the brand identity um, has been really key to, to Dash and really memorable. And I think it's something you can have a lot of fun with as well, the like wonky fruit concept. Um, and I know recently you've had a campaign that's worked really well. Um, I know some of my team have seen kind of some of the billboards and the, the, wonky, the wonky campaign around London. Would you be able to give, like, share some information on, on what that campaign was and, and I guess what's what's worked for you from that? We thought as a brand, we were ready to do a larger sort of above the line campaign. Um, so due to the distribution that we had, it would be sort of most effective and would drive brand awareness. So we did um, tube, billboards, digital screens and bus stops. And then we did a tube escalator takeover where we had a series of wonky fruit um, going down the escalator. And when we actually submitted the artwork to TFL, they thought that our aubergine was too obscene or pro- provocative to uh, commuters. So this, we thought, or Geo, our senior brand manager and the chap who buys our media, thought it was sort of PR gold. And then with our PR agency, we created a, a press release and it really got some good momentum being picked up from the nationals and online um, and was shared you know, thousands of times on, on social media. Um, but a really fun, authentic way of the campaign getting out there. So it was certainly handed on a plate to us by TFL. So we're very grateful to them for it. And it's not something that we planted or anything like that. So no, it was, we were really excited about that. Yeah, I think sometimes the best PRs are stuff that you just cannot plan for. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. And then stuff sometimes goes wrong or, or whatever. Um, cool. So Dash, in terms of the next like one to two years, like what are some of the big things in the, the roadmap that you want to get achieved? And me personally, I look up, I'm starting to look more into the sustainability and impact side of the business. So apart from sort of the wonky fruit aspect, which is something that we want to go deeper into, um, there's other parts. So we've recently become a B Corp, um, and that's a really important framework to, to the business. 
we've become carbon neutral and looked at offsetting not just scope one and two, but three also. So working with some really interesting projects in the UK to capture carbon, which is a campaign that we'll be launching in September, which is really cool. We've launched our business in Australia, so we now manufacture it in Melbourne um, and source the two major retailers over there. Um, so we've got a small team, so that's a big focus for us at the moment. We've got some large launches into Tesco and another large retailer in a couple of months, so that's a big focus. But I think, you know, we want Dash to become you know, a big brand and a household name in the UK. So it's like trying to think strategically for us, for us to be able to make that leap um, into the next sort of realm um, and scale the bis- business, um, which is really, really exciting, but obviously involves a bit of, um, you know, know-how. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we've brought in our our chairman, David Milner, who joined about six months ago, and he's, he's done it a few times before. Um, so it's trying to lean on, on David's experience to, to get us to the next level. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, next, I just want to chat to you a little bit about your own kind of personal experience as a, as a founder. Um, so mm. you've co-founded the business with, with Alex. Um, had you had you known each other for long before setting up and, and like was it a really obvious choice to go into business or was it something you both spent some time kind of discussing with each other before you you delved into it yeah we we met previously like working together so we were young and naive i suppose and uh, both had like a very strong entrepreneurial streak within us and both were obsessed with like new launches in food and drink so it was through that sort of passion for entrepreneurship and having the shared sort of farming background and also working together at Corston really gave us what what we started scheming and that's like how it how it happened. But no, I didn't know Alex before then. And yeah, it's been perhaps seven or eight years um since we first met. Yeah, nice, awesome. Nice. And how did you, um, like, it sounds like you both have kind of similar backgrounds, um, similar career paths from the sounds of it as well. Like how, how has it evolved in terms of like your roles within the business? Like I know in the early days, everyone's doing everything and it's, it's like all hands to the pump, but as the role, as the business got bigger, like how have, how have your role and his role evolved? Yeah, no, you're right. At the beginning, you're sort of both involved in every conversation. Um, and I think that was important us to both know every aspect of the business from the early years we were both heavily focused on sales and that's where our experience was so we were just sort of like like a bit obsessed with getting products on shelf which was our way of like marketing the product and then i perhaps i mean alex can do everything (laughs) but i veered more towards um, the marketing aspect and operations. And, uh, Alex was more on the sales and finance. So I was more on the product and marketing side, which is quite unusual. We'd normally perhaps have sales and marketing and operations and finance, but it just sort of worked for us. And now I look after marketing um, and Alex is more sort of sales and finance. So that's sort of how it sort of evolved over time. 
Um, and now obviously have experts within each channel, which is just so exciting um, to have that, you know, expertise. Um, it's not just us two winging it. Definitely. And a uh, tough question for you next. I'm going to ask you to pick your like proudest moment so far on the Dash journey. Oh God, I should have an answer to that or something should spring to mind. Um, uh, I, 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 I love, I love the, the, the team that we're building and the culture that within the business. I think, you know, of course, like seeing people on the street, like drinking Dash or seeing the big wonky billboard or that, that stuff's all great. But what I'm most proud of is that like we're creating like a, a really good business and the people within it, it's such a nice sort of environment where the culture is strong because everyone feels excited to be working with one another. Um, and that's where I think, you know, culture comes from is having, you know, the best people, um, all working for that, uh, in working in the right direction. So that's something that's, I'm very, very proud of. And it's not a great answer to your specific question, but that's something that I think about. I, th- I think that's a really good, good answer to the question. I think sometimes people jump straight <laughs> to like external validation and, and like recognition of, of achievements. I think actually the fact that you, you go sh- more to the team that's been built and, and the, the culture and more like internal things actually like a really nice, nice thing to be proud of. Um, on the, on the flip side, when, uh, you know, in terms of like kind of tough times and challenges, like as a, as a founder, as a, a business owner, those are gen, those are always going to happen. How do you personally deal with those tough times? Like, are there people that you always will go to? Are there certain things that you will do that help you kind of reframe and focus and, and get through those challenges? I think the challenges have sort of changed over time. To begin with, talking specifically around the product, it would be like, oh, you know, is this can going to explode? Or, you know, getting upset because Planet Organic buyer didn't want your products and you have to wait another six months. Those are like really tough. Or like, you know, worried about like competitors like Pepsi or Coke launching a product in the UK that was going to sort of wipe us off the shelf. I think there's real worries and, you know, and then they sort of change or evolve more. So, you know, people aspect of the business becomes something that you spend more of your time doing and trying to become a good manager and um, the stresses that that creates um, and what i do to i'm i'm so lucky with alex my co-founder so we go go through it together um, and have a really strong relationship and i you know try not to worry too much try and keep like a level head so not go too high when you know big things happen or not get too down when things happen but that that's something that i've learned over time and I always think, like, I don't know, my mum always said, just think about it in the morning. It's, you know, going to sleep and getting a good night's sleep for me is a big focus. Um, and that tends to help, help me a lot because it's always better in the morning, right? It's always a lot better in the morning. 
Definitely. Yeah, I think it just takes some time to, to sit back from the, the situation and reflect and then even get away from it for a little bit. You get a different perspective the next day, so 100%. Um, final section of the podcast is just chat about kind of running and growing a, a for good business. And um, you, you mentioned earlier about going down the B Corp route. Um, that's a huge achievement. What what made you, you and Alex decide to, to go for the B Corp status and, and how did you find that journey? Yeah, it was something that we always wanted to do from, from the get go. We built the business with this sort of mission of celebrating wonky. Um, so we really thought that having you know the beef corp certification was an important part of our like sustainability journey um obviously b corp incorporates a a whole lot more than just that sustainability point it's around you know how you treat your your people or what you do for society around you but it we thought it was an amazing framework for you know our business and it really has been um, all the team are involved. It's like trying to get a better score. It's what more can we do to use our business as a, a force for good? And I couldn't couldn't talk more highly about it. And you know, also if you just put that aside, commercially it has great sense as well because you know now we have it on our can the beagle mark. Uh, it's on the same same reason. Wait, Ocado has its own section on B Corp. Waitrose, W.A. Smith had their own aisles on people. You get to attract certain type of people to your to your business, where people are more likely to to work or be interested in working at your business because you're a B Corp. So, not only is it you know a fantastic framework, um, the process that you go through to get certified is very vigorous and really helps you unpick and um, look zoom in on certain aspects of your business that perhaps you wouldn't have done previously um and then it's sort of like an ongoing process that everyone is sort of committed to so as you can tell i'm a i'm a huge b corp fan and i think that more businesses the better i mean we you know the top food and drink businesses are a b corp in my opinion so alan's kitchen innocent tony's chocoloni you know there so it was that's an important stamp for our for our industry and we want to be you know leading the way like those brands did to us and be inspiring to other brands definitely and and is that the way you see the kind of like consumer consumer product market going like not necessarily specifically b corp but just the focus on being more kind of ethical responsible sustainable in how those businesses are run how the products are made um like I, I think it's happening from a consumer standpoint of them wanting it more and more, which necessarily drives normally drives how the businesses need to operate. But is that the way you see the consumer market moving in general? You know, food and drinks obviously around taste and price is obviously very important. But if you can compete on those things and also be, you know, conscious of the environment that we live in and try to do things as best you can, I think that. It's then, you know, um, a very good position to be in. Um, and I think it's, you know, things are, are going in the right direction. Um, um, you know, things like HSFF, which is a new regulation of, um, where brands can't promote food with lots of sugar or 
uh, fat or salt um, and the sugar tax that came in and packaging taxes that are about to come in with the DRS system. So, yeah, I think it's all you've got to be doing your bit to move things forward. And I think that comes through to the consumer as well, being authentic in that. And um, earlier when I asked your your kind of like proudest moment, you, you rightfully said about the, yeah, how, how the business has been built, the people you've attracted, the, the culture and the values. Um, I wonder if you could dive into a bit more of that. Like how, how have you managed to grow that? Like from the early days, was there something you very specifically focused on or is it as you've got bigger, you've really doubled down on certain aspects or put certain frameworks in place to ensure that the business is growing in a certain way? Yeah. So I think a few things we've, we've, we've wanted to put a scheme in place where, so we've got an EIS uh, share scheme. So uh, the majority of the team here at Dash have shares in, in the business and have a policy after a year of working at Dash that everyone should be entitled to shares. So that was a really important part of, you know, wanting to um, the start the, the people that work at Dash to have a part of the business. We've, I think, as, as founders, um, really worked hard on trying to build a culture. So the values that we live by, which are up on the wall, is something that we sort of live and die by as a business. So our values, for instance, is our actions speak louder than our words. Um, so we're more about action than sort of saying things. We're tenacious. I think, you know, tenacity in, in startups is something that is so so important it's that like, urgency and tenacity that you have to have in bucket loads to have a chance of of um succeeding so tenacious is one we're creative so we the way in which we source our fruit or the way in which we do our marketing campaign or the way in which we communicate to buyers we want it to be as as creative as possible and then simplify um, is the other one where we try and make the complicated simple um, and that sort of stems from the simplicity of the product um, so you know everything that we do we want to be it to be as simple and as clear as possible and I think that's put us in good stead with our communications around the product and also you know as a wider wider business so at the beginning of every week on a monday morning meeting that's you know everyone talks about where they've put one of those values in, in place um, over the last week so that's a little way in which we try to install that into the into the team um, our values which are up on the wall nice yeah that's a really nice way to reinforce it um regularly as well um, you've grown the team to 30 people, I believe, like roughly around 30 people. Uh, 20. 20 people. Yeah. Apologies. Um, so you've grown the team to around 20 people. Um, this is your first venture. Um, what are some of the key learns you've taken from like hiring uh, any kind of challenges or, or just general advice you'd share to other kind of founders in the early stages of building out like the initial teams, that kind of 20 mark? Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, I think I'd just take, make sure that take time um, recruiting the right people. And what 
you know specifically you're you're looking for um and also give giving people like really sort of clear ob- ob- objectives making them feel very empowered becoming experts in a particular thing um is something that you know we don't want people to come in and have to do loads of different things obviously that has to be done at the beginning but i think if you can give people you know proper roles as early as possible that's been really important for us and then really work with their work on development of their skills so making sure that supporting where we can to have extra building building those skills um, has been really great for us so we've just had a public speaking course we've just done a course on negotiation and management courses so all of those sort of things I think really help when having when you've got people working for you. Really good advice. And um yeah, I guess wrapping things up now, you know, if, if someone's listening and, and would be keen to join Dash at some point or wants to keep on track of like when you might next be hiring, like what's the best place for someone to to follow the Dash journey and, and see what you have available when it comes to open positions? Yeah. I think the best thing is to get on the radar of us. Um, so if it's not looking for when positions are coming up, we're trying to sort of strike up a conversation with, you know, Alex and I and, you know, making contact and then, you know, when something does come up. I think with brands like Dash, very specific roles that we're looking for. So we won't necessarily, you know, um, put something up on, on LinkedIn um, or anything like that. So it might be done through like looking at specific people in specific roles. So I think making contact with us and, you know, showing your interest in what area of the business that you're interested in working in would be a first step. And I'm just, I'm Jack at dash hyphenwater.com and find us on, on LinkedIn and we'd love to hear from anyone who's passionate about about the brand and uh, the world of food and drink. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Jack, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been a real pleasure. No, thanks for having me on, Craig. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.